fundraisers. I'm Dawn Wago, and it's time once again to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation Radio, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building those better tomorrows, and exchanging ideas. And whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you're going to pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. Let's get going. I couldn't be more excited to have, you know, one of the nonprofit uh, industries best consultants, best thought leaders, and uh, someone I know who's going to give us some really great dynamic conversation today. Please welcome to Raise Nation Radio, the one and only Robin Thompson, a fundraising consultant from where, Robin? From Vail, Colorado. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I envy that a little bit. But um, tell us all, you know, our, our audience probably knows you already, but let's get them a little bit more intimate and to get to know you a little bit better. Tell us all about Vail, all about being a fundraising consultant and just who's Robin Thompson? Okay, great. Thanks, Don. Um, yeah, so I do live in beautiful Vail, Colorado. Oh, jealous and, I am. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's it's beautiful here in the summer and the winter if you like to ski. Um, but my background is that um, I was in the for-profit world. I was a speaker and trainer for many years, and my husband got a job in a small town in southern Oregon called Klamath Falls. We moved there, and we lost air service. And so I had no way to travel to my speaking engagements. And there was a college there that um, they had a position open for a, a director of alumni relations. And I said, oh, I can do that. And within six months, we, we got a new president. He pointed at me, he said, Robin, you're um, vice president of development. You have six months to raise $2.4 million, which is more than they raised in the previous three, three years combined. And after you do that, we'll get a $1 million challenge grant. <laughs> Okay, so baptism by fire. It was, it was. But I'll tell you what, we got to one week before and we were $550,000 short. And, you know, uh, fundraisers know you pick up the phone and you're you're making all these phone calls and just trying to, to, to meet the gap, at least get close. And the day that it was due, I called my staff in and they had tears. They said, Robin, we thought we could do it. And I brought out the champagne and I brought out the orange juice and um, we had an anonymous donor come in at the last minute and cover the last $550,000. And I'll tell you what. Okay, Bob, wait a minute, point, Robin. Is, is this a true story? Yeah, come on now. Really? It is. It is. And, you know, oh and so, gosh. I mean, I was hooked at that point. Yeah. Because I'm like, I love this because you've got people who have money and then people who uh, and nonprofits who really need the money. And when you put the two of those together and you fit those puzzle pieces together, it's just magical. So that's what my background is. So I, I just left that whole corporate world behind and didn't look in my rearview mirror because I just love the nonprofit world. And so um, so I stayed with the, um, that job for about five years and then went out on my own again and started doing consulting. And, but instead of doing consulting and speaking and training, I did consulting as a nonprofit consultant. 
So we lived in Southern Oregon, and then I got a job as vice president of development at here in Vail, Colorado. That moved us here, and um, then I went back out on my own to do consulting, and I've worked with all different size nonprofits from um, helping start up nonprofits, even though I don't feel like we need any more new nonprofits, but um, some- Oh, yeah, we need new nonprofits. (laughs) I know, but I've helped start them all the way to large nonprofits, and so um, so I, I feel like I've got, you know, some very experience. And so one of the things I thought would be kind of fun for you and me to talk about today is one of my clients is um, in Miami, Florida. So I not only do consulting here in Colorado, but I have um, clients throughout the U.S. as well as internationally. But one of these clients, and um, this won't be a surprise because, you know, you and many of the listeners have experienced, what do you do when you can't have a gala? Well, that's been the theme for the last two years. It has. It has. And so this particular nonprofit is a school for children with autism in Miami, Florida. And it's a very small school. And um, the ratios are like one teacher to one student or one teacher to two students. And so it's a very small school. And so they could not have their gala, of course, in 2020, 2021. And when I started working with them, we started planning their April 2022. And so this was in December. And, you know, the COVID's uh, it's spiked again. So, and it's it's a it's a it's a delicate population. Not necessarily does autism have heightened you know immune deficiencies, but it's it's definitely a, a delicate population. And I believe schools that cater to individuals on the autism spectrum are are just a tad bit even more careful. They go that extra mile. Staffing is so, so, so difficult now coming out of COVID and keeping everybody safe and healthy and protected is, is even heightened. And, you know, not that we weren't, now, not that anybody was negligent, but I think it's heightened. Um, and, and I would know, I do have a son with special needs that goes to um, <laughs> a private school in New Jersey um, for autism. And just, you know, everything that we do, we do it times 10 just to, you know, keep everybody really healthy. So I can imagine what they were going through and the lack of fundraising for three years. So keep going. I'm, I'm loving the story. What happened? Right. So um, <clears throat> they, the event that they had, they usually netted about $100,000. Now, I will okay. say, you know, I'm not somebody that when the board starts saying, oh, we need to have a gala, we need to have an event. I'm not somebody that says, oh, yeah, let's do it. Because I know the tremendous amount of effort that goes into an event. We burn out volunteers. We use tons of staff time and it costs us money. And so um, when they, you know, when we said, okay, we can't do this event and they usually netted about $100,000 on these events. However, we know that that doesn't subtract the staff time that it takes. And um, it's a big lift. It it is. Once you plan an event, well, you've already paid money for the venue. You've paid money for the food. And if you have to cancel or you have a party and nobody shows up, I mean, you're still spending money. 
Yeah. I mean, because wow. who they can't be on the hook either. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult because not everything can can be donated. You know, we all have to stay in business venues and caterers and um, and there's lots of competition out there. So just having a venue and having catering is not enough. How are you engaging and your programming and your entertainment and who's on the stage? There's just so much. It's endless. So, OK, keep going. You've got okay. me. So enter in peer-to-peer fundraising. So to an event, wait, wait, wait. You entered in peer-to-peer fundraising to their annual event or in place of their annual event? We we, uh, bagged the whole event. Got it. Okay. Said, let's just do a a peer-to-peer Houston, we've got a problem, abort. Let's look at peer-to-peer instead. Right, right. Got it. All right, I'm with you. And so um, we did a virtual horse race. And, um, and it, it was really kind of interesting because um, one of the people on the board, the board chair said, I've participated in a horse race before. And um, Robin, you know, that's what, you know, I, I think we could do. Well, you know, I kept thinking there, there has to be something that's more related because you think about it, a school for autistic children and a horse you know, like if we were equine therapy, right? Or if yeah. we were um, horse rescue or something horse related. And I'm like, Ugh, there's got How to- am I going to connect these dots? Right. So I called my, my favorite team at one cause and I said, I need your help. Can you help me come up with some other ideas? And now um, one of the tough things is because everything at one cause is customized. So when I'm saying, well, what about a sail, a virtual sailboat race? Well, what about a virtual golf tournament? What about, you know, so the whole one cause team went out there and tried to find, okay, what have we done that's similar to this? I mean, it, it was awesome. All of the ideas we came back with and we generated and we narrowed it down to a list and we ended up doing a horse race thing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's go full circle. That's right. That's right. Sometimes you need to do that. You know, you have to have that brainstorming and ideate over and over and over again to realize that your first idea was the idea. Right. All right. Well, you have me on pins and needles. What happened? What happened? So so April is um, Autism Autism Awareness Month. Month. Yep. And and April 2nd is World Autism Day. Correct. And so what we said was, let's do it the month of April and then let's end it. So we started on April 4th and let's end it on Kentucky Derby Day. And so then people can um, have their own Kentucky Derby parties and, you know, just kind of celebrate on that day on May 7th. So, Don, here's what I know is um, from my experience that there are three things you need to make a peer to peer fundraiser successful. Which three had, things to make a peer to okay, everybody, our audience, let's things. listen. This is going to be good. Yeah. Okay, so we had none of these. So just, just we had none of these here. at this event. Okay, so you need enough active donors to participate and engage their friends. Agreed. So we had a donor base um, of about 500 that had given in the last five years, but only a couple of hundred of those were, were currently active because. Those people had a connection to someone on the board and not to the cause. Mm. So even though our total donor base was closer to 3000, I didn't feel like we had enough donors that would participate and that were engaged that would participate. So that was the first thing that we needed. I knew we needed, but we didn't have. 
Okay, strike one. Uh, yep. So number two was people need to be well connected on social media. You know, people who are influencers who would post it and get the word out. But see, this is a small school. There's only 30 students in the yep, school. Yep. Yep. So my son's school, there's only 72. Exactly. So there's not a lot of reach, right? Nope. So we didn't have number two. So number three. And can I add a little flavor to that? The other reason why that it's not a, not a big reach is because most families that are caring for somebody on the autism spectrum have a little bit more isolated life than typical people. So we're not necessarily out there making all of those social connections, you know, all of the time. It, it's it's very limited. So small private school with a population that is often isolated. And I, I can imagine that that was a really hard strike too for you guys. It was. It was. And then number three, yep. no track record of getting people involved in something besides that big gala. And so the big gala, and, and so many times I see this happen with nonprofits. So they have a big gala. It's a fun party. And people say, oh, come on and join me. Come, come to this gala. So the people are there at the gala and they give money because their friend invited them and they feel obligated but they they're not necessarily in the mindset of deeping, di- dipping into their pocket to donate. No. They have a different mindset. They're not, a, they don't have a giving mindset. Right. So what happens is we try to engage those donors next year and we can't engage them because we didn't have a gay line. They didn't come with their friends. And so they don't have a connection. Wow. You really had the odds against you. So three-year history of sunsetting a signature event, coming out of COVID, trying a brand new program with new software, and not having the three staples that you might need for a successful event. I can't imagine where this story is going to (laughs) go. So, you know, even our sales rep, Katie, and um, who was awesome, as well as our consultant, Kim. Katie Treadwell. Can we do a big shout out? I love Katie Treadwell. So woohoo to Katie Treadwell. Big shout out to her. And Kim, too. And so they- Kim Hall. Is that Kim Hall that you worked with? Yep. So to the they, finest at one cause. They were skeptical, too, about is this even going to work? So do you think that's enough of strikes against us? But they mm-hmm. hadn't stopped there because the board had some other ideas as to what they wanted to see. It was not going to be structured like a true peer-to-peer fundraiser. So, inter- and so you know, think about like an Alzheimer's. You know, they have people um, form teams to do a walk. They decide how much money they think their team can raise. And then, you know, other people say, oh, well, I don't want to be a part of your team. I want to start my own team. And so you have multiple teams. You have lots of people participating. It's got a really good chance of going viral. In contrast, the board said, we want to hand select who the team leaders are. We want to hand select who's going to be on the teams. And we want only 12 teams with each team's goal. They're setting the goal of $5,000 for each of the teams. The closed teams. (laughs) Yes. So closed teams, number one. Number two, they wanted to choose, they chose the dollar amount that each team would raise. So um, interestingly, we started out with 12 teams and most of the teams were, um, the team leader was a board member. 
And then after we got 12 teams, we had some parents say, well, we'd like to do a team and then one friend of the organization. So we ended up with 15 teams. So we started out with 12 teams at $5,000 goal each at $60,000 goal. Well, then we raised our goal to $75,000 because now we had 15 teams. And so, um, so I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. But number three that they did was instead of each team creating their own fundraising page, which as one cause told me, and as I know, when people create their own team page, they're so much more engaged. But Robin was going to create that page. They didn't want each individual person to create the page. So I found pictures of horses to upload, et cetera. And then the school has small support staff. So this is number four that we didn't have was that um, Robin would be the contact. And now I've done a lot of, of peer-to-peer fundraising, but I've never been the point person. So I've never had to learn the software. I've never been the name on the website. You know, if you can't get, um, if you donated to the wrong team, whatever, I was the point person. And, you know, of course, one cause is like, but I'll say, By only having 15 teams, that helped me not have to be as involved. But I'll tell you what, the One Cause software was just amazing. I can't say enough good things about how it helped me be able to monitor all of this. And full full disclosure, we didn't ask you to come on to Raise Nation Radio to endorse One Cause in any way. You just were, you have just had, you know, and it doesn't sound, you know, to our listening audience, it doesn't sound like we're going to get to success, but stay with us because we we really are. I mean, this this is just, you know, this isn't just a talk about what to do and not to do in your, in your fundraising campaign, but Robin wanted to come on the show to really share a real live example. So talk about against all odds. Um, um, can't wait to see where this is going, but we did not ask Robin to endorse one cause right. in any way. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'll say that one of the things that if you as a nonprofit would have come to me and said, so Robin, we want to have a peer to peer fundraising. And these are all the things that, that um, we don't have. Robin would have probably said, don't do it. I mean, it's yeah, not so- successful. That's going through my mind as you're talking. Why did you do it? <laughs> You know, I didn't want to ask, but since you went there, I figured I might as well bring it home and just ask the question. Nonprofit world. I, I think we have these rose colored glasses that are so optimistic that we'll find a way to make that work. And and I even said, and, uh, you know, one cause agreed with me. This is either going to be a colossal failure or a raging success. There's not going to be any middle ground. And so, you know, um, I, I said, we've got to move forward because really we didn't have much of a choice. We needed to be able to raise money. And I, I really didn't know how else to do it. And maybe there was a piece of it that was um, I was naive and thinking, oh, well, I, you know, we can make this work. Well, if years ago, your your, your very first uh supervisor telling you you're going to raise X amount of dollars and so on, right, right. Like if you can do that. And, and I really think I have to underscore, that's why we love to call our nonprofit friends and partners fearless because 
this was brave. This was courageous. You were fearless. And, you know, we hold on to that phrase, fearless fundraisers for a reason. You know, it wasn't just something that we brainstormed in, you know, on a whiteboard someday. Stories like this point to fearless fundraising. So, all right, keep going. I'm so intrigued. Okay, so here's what we did. These are the things that that I will tell people that even if you don't have all of those things that you need, if you can do this piece, then it, it possibly can be successful. So first off is engagement. Engagement from anyone and everyone. So since we couldn't have multiple teams and multiple participants, we had to find another way to make it work. And so here's what we did. So we created the horse teams. So we had a virtual horse owner. So that was the board member or the parent or um, then the friend, right? Then we had a horse trainer, virtual horse trainer, which was, which, which was a teacher. And then we had a jockey, which was the student. And so what this did was we had a team of at least three people. Now we had one group um, that had twins. Oh, wait, a student from the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So, so we had, and, and of course, if anybody's going to do this, just know that you need to be sure that you have signatures from parents, that it's okay for them to be on social media, et cetera. You need to have the releases. But so we did the, we had the kids. And so, of course, the kids, meaning their parents too, right? Sure. So, so but the kids were the ones that were on the website because we know what, um, and I'll, I'll use my air quotes, sales are puppies and kids, kittens, puppies, kids, right? So if I knew if we could get the kids on there too, that it would attract people. And so- we- Well, you're right. Cause I'm thinking of my son being a jockey, you know, on, a, on like this horse race. And I'm like, yeah, I'd have done that for sure. A hundred percent. Right. And so we put photos of the students on the horse race page and then we posted those on social media. So um, each week it was five weeks because we started on April 4th and ended on May 7th. So each of the weeks we featured four of the students and their teams. And so we had their picture and then we had a little antidote about, you know, little Angie, you know, she's just a joy to be around, et cetera. So we, we had that piece. And so as soon as we posted that on social media, then it went viral, right? Because here's this cute little kid. And, well, they're in this virtual horse race, right? And so now- It's so odd, right? Like why would- it's just so odd that it's intriguing. Right. And, and of course, some of the parents were a little confused in the beginning because they thought it was going to be a real horse race. And so they're like, um, do we have people that, you know, are going to watch over the kids and be sure that they're going to be OK? No, 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 no. It, everything's virtual. Right. And so so that was number one, because now we got engagement from not only the um, the team leader, the the person that was the horse owner, but the entire team. And so we get the family and the friends and the grandparents of the kid, because now the kid's on there, the teacher, family, friends, parents, then the horse owner, right? Okay. So now we've got that. And so we've, we've got that kind of going out. Second thing is constant and continual communication. 
I don't think I realized, Don, how that how time consuming this was going to be. But it was nothing like putting a game on. So I'll tell you that. But um, that's an interesting statement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we after we formed the teams, I introduced them on an email and then I wrote five weeks worth of emails. And so every week I would send a an email that was specifically to the team. And, you know, I'd have a little introduction. This is how we're doing. This is what you can do this week. And then an email for them to send to everybody else. And here's what you can post on social media. Here's the hashtags to use. And so I did that for the teens. Then I did it for the parents. Then I did another one for the staff. And then I did an overall email to our entire database. And so it was a a different one that, um, again, featured those four students each week. So the communication, the constant and continual communication during that five weeks so that each week they knew on a Friday they were going to get an email from me and uh, the teams then they would go out and start raising money. And I'll tell you what, the number three is it's got to be fun. There were so many people that commented that this was so cute. This was so much fun. It, it's adorable. It is just, I, I, it's going through my head and it's adorable. Yeah. People loved it because it was so much fun. And so one of the things that happened, and again, this is not, those of us are, that are in fundraising, a lot of you are probably going to cringe when I tell you this, but um, the teams wanted to win. And so- People are like, you're supposed to just be given a donation for the sake of giving a donation. What are you talking about? They want to win. But there was this um, friendly competition between teams. So there were some teams that were holding back giving money because they didn't want that other team to see that they were. Don't show your full deck of cards. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Bank it and show it later. Oh, gosh. That's hilarious. It was so fun. And there was a just like like a neck and neck finish at the end. There were two teams that I think one was like at $12,000 and one was at 10,000. So end result, we blew past that $60,000 goal. We blew past the $75,000 goal and we blew past a hundred thousand dollars. You did not. We did. Oh my we gosh. Had, okay. How exciting. It's almost as exciting as the Kentucky Derby. Was that not exciting this year? <laughs> you know, the 11th hour horse when I taking know. it all like that, I that know. was like crazy. I, I, I was know. in disbelief watching it. I know. And so we had almost 300 new donors, which nice. was more oh. than the previous year and a total of 372 donations. Our social media reach, which we have had fits and starts with our social media, which it's just been such a challenge. So it might this might not sound like much to, to many people, but we had a media reach of over 250 people. A lot of followers that began following us didn't even know we existed before that. We set it up for future years. We did. And then we started getting new requests for tours for um, parents, potential parents to come in because they didn't know about the school. 
And so um, it, it was just, it, you know, oh, congratulations, Robin. I mean, that, that is just phenomenal because it was successful on a number of levels, not just the, um, you know, the fundraising, which most important part, of course. So congratulations for, you know, blowing out that goal, but just, you know, the awareness and the development of the database and setting it up for future years. And I have so many things that I want to talk about. Let's dial back to the communication. That's a really important point. That was your point too. But and, and you said it was a lot of work, right? You're not going to say that it wasn't a lot of work writing these emails, um, making sure that it was specific to, you know, each of those. It was very targeted to who you were talking to and giving them the tips and tricks and tools that they needed for social and their outreach and their communication. Super important. And while that was a lot of work, I love the fact that you paralleled that to the event executing an event is a lot of work. And sometimes I wonder, you know, we'll get on the phone with a venue and and DJs and entertainment and site visits, and we're okay with doing that work. But for some reason, when it comes to the communication, we're like, oh, it's a lot of work. But either way, fundraising, you know, is work. You mentioned that it might not have been as much work as executing an event. And it's no different than promotions. If you're going to be doing something, you have to promote it. Maybe you're promoting it differently by targeting these different groups and giving them the tips and tricks. But nonetheless, it's part of the territory with an event to promote your event. And that's exactly what you did. Right. Right. Exactly. And I I think one of the things that happens with a huge gala, uh, especially in this day and age, I'm seeing that a lot, lot of our older donors who tend to be some of our biggest donors still aren't comfortable. And especially, you know, each time that we have a surge, right. And, you know, um, cases start rising again, you know, our older donors just don't want to go. I mean, they're compromised. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to drive the car in a snowstorm. Right. I'm not going right. to, yeah. Put myself right. out there. Sure. And so I say, you know, do we really want to have an event where we're basically telling our best donors, well, we're having a party, but, you know, you probably just won't want to come. Do we really want to do that? Or do well, one we of, give them an option? Yeah, well, your mantra is definitely to put the fun back in fundraising, right? I mean, it's work, an event's work, but, you know, development is 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 work. We're not going to deny that, but you made it fun. And that's part of your consultative your, your consultation process, you've got to find the fun in it. You've, you've got to make it fun for everyone. Right. Exactly. And so that's the, the title of my book that came out in the middle of COVID putting the fun in fundraising, because that's where can we get that book? How, how is it on Amazon or your website? Or you can just go to my website, Robin. What is your, okay, let's do that one more time. What is it? It's robinthompson.com, R-O-B-I-N-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.com. And they can order it there or um, they can order it off of Amazon. And so it's just important. The fun and fundraising. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that I, I think that those of us that are fundraisers, we have to make it fun for ourselves. If we go into any kind of an event, if we go into even if it's peer-to-peer fundraising and we're not having fun with it, Others aren't going to have fun. With right. It. So yeah. we better find a way, you know, how whatever it is we need to add to that to make it fun for us 
to want to do it. And then it's going to make it fun for others. And, you know, the interesting thing about this horse race is that then people would, you know, come back and say, oh, you know who I want for my horse? You know, I, I want Mr. Ed to be my horse. And so then I would replace the picture that I'd chosen for the horse. And, you know, and, and what I did, one of the things I did was I came up with names of horses, you know, just Googled it, names of horses from past horse races. Secretariat, did you use Secretariat? Um, well, no, they, nobody used that. So I sent them the list of names and said, pick a name. Uh -huh. So so people got, you know, it was kind of fun. Some of them, it took forever for them to come up with the name. And some of them incorporated the student's name in there. And, oh, super cute. Yeah, so, so, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I found a way to make it fun for me that, you know, what if what if they did have, you know, names of their teams that were were kind of fun. And and then some people, you know, I wrote the script, you know, when you click through um, from, you know, you want to donate to somebody and you click through and you come up with their page. Then I had written all that text. But I told people, you know, you can customize it if you want. It was great the way people customized it. And, um, you know, and, you know, it made it, it personal. Fun. Yeah, told their story, pictures and all that kind of stuff. It sounds so. like every nonprofit needs a Robin Thompson in their <laughs> life um, because fun is, is contagious, right? If you're having fun, if you're enjoying it, then that's that, that energy is going to you, you're gonna, people are going to feel that energy. And then it's going to be, you know, you made it. You didn't. I, I think I want to be bold enough to say you didn't just make it fun for yourself. You made it fun for everyone, volunteers, staff, parents. I mean, you, you made it fun for everyone. And that's really so important because I think, you know, we forget that donors and supporters, your, your team leads, your jockeys, your, your trainers, your horse owners, everyone had good intentions. Everybody understood the job at hand. We're, we're, we're against all odds, but we have to, have to, have to raise money. We need to do this. But what we forget is the best of intentions doesn't necessarily translate into fundraising because they don't maybe know how they're not fundraisers. So all those tips and tricks and tools that you were able to give them for those five weeks, once a week was, was gold really. And, and, and you made it fun for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I say, just like on the airplane, when they say, put on your oxygen mask first, mm -hmm. so, you know, with the fun, I've, I've got to put on my oxygen mask first and say, okay, so what do I think would make this fun for me? And what happens then when I put that out there, then people come back and say, oh, could we do this? Oh, could we do, you know, and so then all of a sudden. You got the ball rolling and it helped them ideate their own ideas for their own personal fundraising. Yeah. Oh, great, great, great job. I mean, I think we might need to turn this into a little bit more of a success story. So maybe at one point on onecause.com, you'll be able to uh, read more about it. But can we turn to you just a little bit more, Robin? What what can a nonprofit engage? What, what are your services? Because I, I think it's a true statement. If you're going to put fun in my fundraising, and I, I do run a very small nonprofit organization. Most of our audience may know that um, with my daughter. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I need a Robin Thompson. So <laughs> What, what, how, how can our audience who's listening saying, you know what, I get it, but I just need that extra help. What, how do they engage with you? And what, what's the length and breadth of your services that you can offer a nonprofit yeah. organization? 
Well, thank you. And um, yeah, so I mean, they can get in touch with me, fundraiser at robinthompson.com. And I love to have just like a 30 minute call with with people. And, you know, I I can give a lot of ideas in that 30 minutes, because like I said, I've I've had a, a, a wide breadth of experience. And, you know, I do pretty much everything with the nonprofit. And so it's almost like um, when I go in, I typically do a some type of an assessment where I look at 22 different areas of the nonprofit. And then I- wait, 22. I don't I didn't even know that. The, the nonprofit I wrote, my daughter has 22 areas. We have 22 areas. Yep. 22 okay. areas that I look at. And so then I come back with recommendations of um, these, these would be my recommendations and um, you can do any of these things yourself or you can hire me and I can help you cut the learning curve short, but I let them choose, you know, like which ones of these do you, um, you know, would work for you to start working on now? Which ones do you think would give you the best best bang for your buck if you start there? Well, hire Robin Thompson and you hire an army, right? So you're really (laughs) increasing your resources tenfold. That's right. So that's one of the ways. And I'll tell you another way that I work with nonprofits is I call it a project based because uh, many times small nonprofits, they they feel like, ah, you know, either they don't have enough um, information, background history for me to look at those 22 areas because they're just getting started or they're trying to recover from, you know, the pandemic pandemic or whatever. And so I do a project based where for 90 days, I work with the nonprofit. And um, what happens is that they I give them a list of projects, they say, okay, I want to do a case statement. Okay, so first off, I teach them the first three parts of a case statement. They go off and do it. And and when they're done, they come back, I read through it, and then we do the next three parts of the case statement. Or it might be a development plan, a fundraising plan, or whatever. And so, um, you know, so I I do work with nonprofits that way. And then sometimes after we get through that three-month, 90-day, they say, ah, yeah, I want to continue. So yeah, we, we need more. Right. Sure. Who wants exactly. to stop furthering missions? Of right. course. And so, yeah. you know, like with the nonprofit with um, the Victory School in Florida, um, I'm, I'm pretty much functioning as a director of development. So I'm yeah. doing all of that. Um, I'm working on a project here, a paved trail that um, if you're familiar with Colorado, when it's done, there'll be a paved trail all the way from Breckenridge, 143 miles over to Aspen, and we'll come through Vail here. And so um, they're not a nonprofit. They have a physical agent. And so we are starting from ground zero with no donor list, et cetera. So I just tell you that because I have, you know. An, so basically you take you take all the projects that are against all odds and and, and, and make the impossible possible, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe that that's what uh, my lot in life is. But... <laughs> yeah, you're living that impossible instead of impossible. You, I'm sure you've seen that meme. Yeah. Oh. And, and, you know, and, and to me, you know, when I see these nonprofits that are doing so much good and they could do so much more. Much better. Yeah. You know, if they just raised raised money, and so, you know, if I can help them get there, and you know, and, and I I will say with this um, horse race, this peer to peer fundraising, I think I was as surprised as anybody else that it was as successful as it was. 
Well, thank goodness that it was. Congratulations to you and to the Victory School. You're just such a breath of fresh air. I I think I'm going to have to invite you back to Raise Nation Radio to talk about some of your other successes, because you know why? It's so so, um, refreshing to have a real live case study that you could sink your teeth into. It's not just a conversation about do this, don't do that, the who, why, where, what, when, and how. We need practical advice as fundraisers and um, I love the fact that you've given to us, but I can't believe that we've talked for such such a, a long time. It feels like it's just been two minutes and I want to talk for another two hours, um, but I think we're just going to have to have you back. Um, hopefully you'll join us again on the podcast. I'd love to do that. Thank you, Don. Thank you for having me. And again, thank you for all that you all do at One Cause, not only to do these kind of programs to help nonprofits learn from others, but uh, that, like I said, and, and again, this is, you all didn't ask me to do a sales pitch, but I can't <laughs> say enough good things about One Cause uh, and, and how the program was so easy to work with. And so, and, you know, the consultant, she set everything up and I, I mean, it it was just, it, it was, a, it, it was a breeze. And, and that's Kim uh, Hall. She's, she's yeah. amazing in, in so many ways. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we were able to help bring your fun uh, to life. And, and, and we do try to innovate in a, in a highly configurable manner so that when you have all of these rules, like, you know, set number of teams and set goals and, you know, whatever you want to do, the software, you know, is, is flexible enough to configure it for you. So Um, This is exciting. Super exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the story. Shout out to Victory School um, for just being fearless and to keep going. Um, But let me turn back to the audience. Fearless fundraisers, that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Raise Nation topic, the story that Robin shared, and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. If this wasn't inspiring, I don't know what would be. Tune in for a new episode release every Thursday at 1230 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Thursdays, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And in the meantime, listen to all the episodes on Raise Nation Radio. Follow the channel that you like best. We stream on 11 channels and on demand at onecause.com. Fundraisers are doing amazing things to build better tomorrows for our communities. Stories are awe-inspiring. You just heard one. You won't want to miss a single episode. I'd like to thank our sponsor, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions and highly configurable ones at that that help nonprofits connect with their donors. Be sure to check One Cause out at onecause.com. Visit the resource tab on the homepage for a broad catalog of eBooks and success stories, hopefully one on the Victory School coming up soon. A huge shout out and thanks to my lovely guest, inspiring guest and fun guest, Robin Thompson for sharing. Uh, Robin, thank you for sharing your expert and authentic voice and for sharing the story. It really was inspiring. I appreciate you being with us today. Any last words of inspiration? You know, I would say just remember those three, those three things, engagement from anyone and everyone, if you're going to do peer to peer and the communication is so key and just have fun with it. Yeah, you proved that for sure. Well, thank you again so much. Um, Until next time, it's a wrap. I'm Don Lego. This is Raise Nation Radio. Stay fearless out there. 